Heavenly Features is brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions. Hey, just a content warning for this episode, we do talk about depression and suicide. Hello and welcome to Heavenly Features, a weekly, or kind of weekly, uh, podcast where myself, Sophie, and my friend Kim... Hey, how's it going? ...get together every week <laughs> to, <laughs> to talk about movies. Okay, so, look... Uh, Elephant in the room. <laughs> what what Sophie's getting out there is that we skipped last week. Um, and, you know, normally I would just be like, you know, we'll just get it up every week and it will be fine. We'll, we'll get to it. But uh, this week, my, the, I mean, the love of my life, my best friend and my son, uh, who has appeared on this podcast, uh, had an injury that took a lot of looking after. So he's fine. He's he's on the mend, but my little baby bear uh, scratched his eye, and it was a lot. Which sounds like nothing when you just say he scratched his eye, but um, <laughs> it involved like every other day taking him to the vet. We had to go to specialists. We thought he was going to have to have his eye removed or a graft on his eye. So it's it's been it's been a journey. It's been it's stressful. Been... You got ill as yep. well. Apparently, I cannot let Bear have all the attention, so I decided to get the worst cold of my life at the same time. Yeah. Um, but luckily, Soph lives near enough by, so she dropped around some soup uh, to, to help recover. Well, of course. And sweets, because, you know. Uh, but yeah, I... Well, I didn't want you to be really healthy, <laughs> no, did I? Fuck that. Here's some vegetables <laughs> and a lot of sugar. Um, Basically. I thought, you know, keep Absolutely, it did. It gave me the energy so, so I could put the drops in Bear's eyes six times a day. So your your week was really just cuddles and medication? Yes, <laughs> literally. Uh, so yeah, I apologise for the uh, extra week delay there for this episode, uh, which is also sucks because it's one I was really looking forward to because I fucking love Ghost World. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely had to keep pushing this one back Uh I mean, I mean, to the point, like, I, my voice sounded, it went from, like, really gravelly sexy to, like, high-pitched yeah. nasal, what the fuck is this? Well, because you were like, I could maybe do it, and I was like, no, no, <laughs> no, you sound no, like one, shit. no, no one wants to listen to that. <laughs> I think I actually messaged you, and I was just like, no, I've listened to podcasts before when people, <laughs> like, to go on and they don't sound good and it's just it's not pleasant plus every two seconds i would be like sniffing and then being like oh hold on pause that i just need to check on bear and then cough my lungs up and then be like i'm just checking on bear again so it would have been a shit show but right now but he's on the mend you you've mended i have mended and bear is bear still (laughs) got his six eye drops a day and he's still meant to wear his cone of shame all the time as much as i take it off sometimes because you know he gets sad. Um, and he's on painkillers, which means he is currently passed out on the couch behind me, having having a good old nap. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been a it's been a week, alright? It's been a week. <laughs> like It has. But you know what? We're gonna pretend that we watched this film this week rather than last week, and that we actually remember what we're gonna be talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. So that being um, said <laughs> So what was your choice for this this week? <laughs> well, um, it's going to come as a surprise. Uh, I've chosen the 2001 film Ghost World, which was written and or co-written and directed by Terry Spigel. And um, of course, it's based on the iconic 
um, graphic novel by Daniel Klaus. And um, I chose this film because I fucking love this film when <laughs> I was a, a teenager. Choice. I was so obsessed. <laughs> I was so obsessed with Thora Birch and her role in this film, like that kind of misanthropic teenage angst was just like really appealing to me when I was going through some major depression um that kind of youthful angst myself um and so I really enjoyed uh this filmy the uh, filmy the film <laughs> this the aesthetics um <laughs> and uh I like the story the story about um Enid, who, Enid Coleslaw, I mean, come on, what a name, who is kind of struggling with this uh, moment in her life between being a child and being an adult, this kind of adolescence. And she is uh, kind of being held back, literally and figuratively, um, at this point in her life because she has to take um, these extra credit classes so she can um, graduate. Uh, but she's also held back by her own kind of unwillingness to grow up and accept uh, reality that she needs to become an adult. And to become an adult, you somewhat have to conform to the world a little bit to, to get ahead. And she's very kind of anti-conforming. Um, so she's stuck in that sense. Um, and she also doesn't really know what she wants to do. And so the story follows her and her friend, who is called Rebecca Doppelmeyer and uh, their relationship, their friendship, but also her new friendship um, or relationship uh, with a man called Seymour, who she kind of meets after doing a horrible prank on him and eventually kind of gets to know a little bit better as she finds some kind of like way to relate to him as he is also a bit of an outcast, a bit of a weirdo. So... It's just a film that I I hadn't watched in such a long time, but going back to it, I had forgotten so much, and yet so much came flashing back to me um, in my mind. And uh, I just I was really flipping enjoyed revisiting it. Um, so yeah, when was the last time you saw it, Kim? Uh, so the last time I watched this would have been probably at the latest, my early twenties, like. It's been a long time since I watched this film and man, I wish I'd carried on watching it as much as I did as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it. firstly, it took me back to that time, which was, you know, not necessarily all peaches, but it was, you know, it was, it was nice to, to revisit how I felt at the time. But also like just looking back at it, and watching it as like a teen movie now, like I just think it's just such a clever film and such a it's it's on the surface it's quite a basic premise, yes. um, and yet it just encapsulates teenage life of my teenage life. Oh, a hundred percent! Like we, I think, have all had those summers where you don't have anything to do, you don't have any money, so all you do is just you just walk around like doing nothing. And that, at least at the beginning of the story, is all that Enid and Rebecca do is just kind of walk around, not doing much, going to restaurants and judging other people, <laughs> pretty much. Which, you know... Well, it's like it's like that fear that you have. So, like, leaving school is obviously this huge milestone. And you, you build it up in your head. I mean, more so 
for people who actually you know like complete the high school journey um but like once you leave school you've got this you've got this thing in your mind where it's been built up so much that suddenly you're now an adult and you realize that you've been putting so much pressure on yourself for leaving and and doing this thing where you are are now classed as an adult and you're going out into the real world and education's kind of stopped and that's the end of you being a child and you have to make all these decisions and you realize that you've been putting so much pressure on yourself to get to that point you've forgotten that you're still going to be you once you leave that high school and it's that massive letdown of you leave school as yourself and all of a sudden you're in the real world but nothing's magically changed because you're still you and it kind of shows that perfect beautiful letdown that everyone has yeah because i think that um so much of like your teenage years is just you like hoping and praying that finally you'll be respected and be treated like an adult because you actually are one now (laughs) and you spend so many years being like i am basically an adult already even though i'm only 14 and (laughs) oh oh that hits home i Mm. thought i was so grown up like when we were sat in bars at like 14 ordering shots like yeah we're adults what are you gonna do about it it was a different time, guys. Okay, you could do that. <laughs> oh yeah, I should we probably managed to find the most that. corrupt pubs um, and most corrupt off licenses <laughs> that would sell us alcohol and cigarettes. Um, <laughs> but it's but, true. It's true. We did think we were adults doing it. We thought yeah. we were adults, or that we were like uh, mature enough. And so you spend all that time like trying to get to that kind of what you see is the peak of being an adult. You are finally an adult. No one can talk down to you now. You're an adult. And then you're like, (laughs) oh shit, there's responsibilities that come with that. And am I ready for it? And is it what I want? And do I, am I willing to kind of sell a little bit of my soul to get ahead, um, to get jobs and do what you want to do? Because ultimately you have to change something about yourself normally to kind of start working, don't you? You have to... Oh yeah, you, you, I mean, who doesn't lie on their CV, am I right? Like... Exactly, or like suppress a part of who you are because you know you can't have purple hair at your job, or you need to stop being quite so snarky so that you don't get you know. <laughs> I feel like this is uh, all very... fired from your customer service job or whatever. I feel like there's a lot of truth behind what you just said for yourself. Shush, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe just a little bit. Just, but I so envied um, Enid having that like shocking green hair i just thought right? it was so cool anytime i went green it was never that vibrant <laughs> i know and she managed to do it from black I, to so, that green that is the most unrealistic part <laughs> of this film, film. <laughs> i'm sorry exactly you have to bleach it it goes orange it's a shit show we all know this yeah what i really loved though is how earnest she like she has this kind of youthful earnest thing about her like when she goes through that kind of punk rock phase, which literally lasts for like a day or two, um, she's so sincere about it and gets so pissed off with people that they can't see that it's like an original 1970s punk rock look. Um, that, and it's just like, oh, I really relate to that. I remember when people just didn't get what I was going for. Um, oh my god. Um, well, in fairness, that okay, was like my teenage years. That's totally more your your thing than mine for sure. I remember like as teenagers you were definitely more the like oh people just don't understand what i'm going for whereas i was more of the 
I don't understand what I'm going for. <laughs> well, <laughs> we were all confused, um, either by others or ourselves. Um, but oh, I so envied her bedroom. Her bedroom was like so oh, amazing. Stop it. Also, can I just say, because we're on, on the top of, of her bedroom, that sounded a lot dirtier than I wanted it to. Um, the soundtrack to this film that kind oh. of centers around her bedroom in some ways, like for me, like, mm. oh, this fucking soundtrack. Like I had listens... this as a playlist because it was like the most obscure things. And then also just like, yeah, this is obviously in here. Oh, I just yeah. fucking loved it. I really enjoyed because like, when when you are a young person, you find so much uh, self-expression through music um, yeah. and through like the the lyrics of others that you can relate to or that you uh, just fall in love with. And uh, I was so jealous of her turntable. I really mm. wanted it for like the longest time. Oh, um, and I like know. her like nineteen sixties yellow bookcase and um just the mi- mix match of all these things that she's collected from like thrift shops and uh, or yeah. charity shops and like little like knickknacks and stuff like that and it just it was i think it's probably one of the most realistic teenage bedrooms i've oh. seen on film this is like, so many so many times was... i look at teenage bedrooms and i'm like oh you've not been around a teenager since you were one in the like 60s yeah. or at Whereas... least like the dream teenage bedroom. Yeah. Oh, and also, like, what you were saying about music, and I, like, I've thought about this a lot, is music never touches you quite the same way as it does than when you're mm. going through that teenage years. Like, I remember hearing songs and being like, this is directly aimed at me. This is 100%. Because you're, you're obviously more self-absorbed, self, self-absorbed as a teenager. And... And not in a bad way. Like, I think it's I think it's such a beautiful thing. Like, music has... I love music, but music has never meant more to me than when I was a teenager and I heard, mm. like, that song that really got me or that, like, band that just spoke directly to me. I just yeah, think it's, it's... You're searching for another person that understands you and what you're going through in that moment. Yeah, because not only does no one understand you... But everyone's searching at the same time. If you're a teenager, everyone in your peer group is searching. But no, no one yeah. really gets that everyone else is searching. Yeah. It's such a weird time. It's such a weird time. I think, especially because I think it would be fair to say that we both experienced quite dark times during our <laughs> teenage years. Um, <laughs> so that, particularly like we grew up in the like early 2000s, not to age us or anything, but um, the early to mid 2000s, where all of that kind of rock music and kind of angsty music was really popular, and uh, we still have songs now that we will put on from that time, just so we oh. can scream certain words and certain yeah. lines uh, that we always used to uh, sing along to. Um, and we have like vivid memories of us just like sitting in like an empty room, screaming the top of our lungs along to these songs it's these um, these visuals <laughs> these visuals that come back to me are like are the biggest cries for help i've ever seen <laughs> like yeah, I, I honestly i'm like shook to my core that 
we we did all this stuff and 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 like we're crying for help in these fucking moments and all we had was like oh yeah let's just put on like jeff buckley hallelujah to calm us down after screaming <laughs> like like yeah. i just yeah i think i think this film perfectly represents that i think also like she's very eclectic in her choice and considering that when we grew up it was a lot of um we still were in the era of britney spears we we're still in the era of uh like avril lavigne and all these sorts of people i'm sorry that, we um, we are still very deep in the britney spears era she is she's, she's gonna have a moment she's coming back i'm she's sure amazing. but like uh i love her but um i felt very seen by someone like enid who was delving back into songs from the past not just contemporary songs I was obsessed with glam rock for no reason. I don't know why. I was obsessed with Mark Bolan in particular. Um, um, I was like 15. So, you you love androgyny. <laughs> I do. Yes, that is true. So of course um... you're gonna be you're gonna be drawn to these fantastical beings that are no gender, and like there's just these like femininity and masculinity, yeah. like sucked together on stage, and these like ama- like of course you are. Firstly, but I also be. like I also like like 1960s folk and the monkeys and shit like that. Oh, um, the amount of times you and I were caught singing the monkeys at the top the of monkeys. our lungs <laughs> as yeah. like young teenagers. Loved it, absolutely. Um, so the, the fact that she was also getting into these like songs from the past, these artists from the past that perhaps were not um, as well known to her contemporary, to her peers, I really liked seeing that kind of shown as a a journey for a young person to go through and to explore that because I felt very seen by it I mean I remember going and buying my first um LP uh, when I was probably about 14 I remember distinctly it was um in a I won't stay on here but I remember it, it was in a town where one of our friends lived and uh it's not there anymore the shop but I remember going in and going through all of them and it was like a, a best of t-rex and it had rider white swan and all of those songs on firstly um, amazing first lp great um and okay i have I a question distinctly remember it and it was so meaningful well this this is what i mean like as a teenager you have these memories like these core memories do you remember what your first ever cd that you bought for yourself and i mean full album not single because we used to buy singles on disc back then because we old do you remember what your first ever album that you bought with your own money was we can genuine thing yeah i, I can see with i can see your money, cogs turning with my own money yeah so i don't think i should really fess up to it, but it <laughs> no long, you should it was long enough ago that the fact that it's slightly illegal hopefully won't come and get me on the ass but we went to malaysia when i was uh <laughs> In, at the end of year seven and I remember we went to one of the markets and I just they had loads of CDs but they really obviously weren't the main CDs should we say and they may not have been legitimate CDs and I remember <laughs> buying like loads of stuff at the time I was what like 11 12, 12 years old maybe and I remember we bought uh loads of stuff um like some 41 and all that shit Amazing. so I remember buying Blink 182 um gosh who else I remember that. I remember other albums being bought for me. Was it like them. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket era? 
Blink? Yeah, or was it like I remember. Pre- well, my brother bought that one. He also bought the soundtrack to the South Park movie, I remember. Of course he fucking did. Why do I remember these things? Uh, but the, the film, uh, sorry, the CD that I remember going into like a legitimate British yeah. CD shop and buying might have been him. <gasps> no way! Okay. See, my um, first one, my first ever album I bought for myself was Green Day Warning. Oh, that was one of my counterfeits. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Look, it was like 20 years ago, guys. I Surely I can't be done for it. <laughs> no, there's a statue of limitations. You're fine. Uh... <laughs> I didn't steal the music. I just bought it. Yes, and so, we would never I dream. I about of... LimeWire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are really showing our age on this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember, too, like, I remember as kids you and I would go in to a unnamed big chain store of uh, music and uh, films and I would spend so much money buying... Like, I had the entire Green Day back catalogue and at the time it was like £15 an album. Mm. And I was just like, yeah, let's get them all. But I also remember at the time that I was buying like Nirvana and him and things like that, Love I it. was also like secretly buying like NSYNC and shit like that because I, oh. like, I still kind of love all that shit. You know, but I'm this so is... angsty that I don't love it. Obviously, nobody knows I bought No Strings Attached. The the um... specific reason, <laughs> the specific reason I asked you for your full album, not single, is because the first single I bought with my own money is O Town Wet Dream, <laughs> <laughs> Liquid Dream. Sorry. <laughs> It was all about wet dreams. Yes, it was. But that was was my first single I bought. So I'm like, yeah, we're going to stick with the album because that is at least a credible band. (laughs) I don't know, though. We still sing that song. I didn't even just buy one copy. I bought one for me and one for my best friend. (laughs) Like, we watched it on TV and I got on my bike straight away and cycled to the local town to buy two singles because I was like, we must have these in our life. We lived next door. We could have just bought one. No, no, two. Had to support through the wall. <laughs> Literally. Oh man. Yeah. Oh. Enid, Enid, and Rebecca would have taken the piss out of us. I think they had better taste than us. Oh my god, they <laughs> so did. Because I still listen to the songs they listen to. <laughs> you don't listen to O Town. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, the odd time for we don't talk about that. <laughs> Not today, I haven't, but maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Look, is it on a playlist somewhere? I'm. I don't want to answer, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we played it in the summer. That was we definitely did. our summer one. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. Playing Crash Bandicoot and going back to our youth. <laughs> Yeah, we, we basically, we've decided that uh, we've given up on adult life and have gone back to our teenage years. Are we Enid? Are we avoiding taking the next step? Yes, but if Steve Vasemi comes in, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think the thing about Enid is I've really admired so much about her, her interest, her kookiness, her, her willingness to conform, her kind of... Uh, rejection of what was expected of her by so many people in her life and yet i don't know if i could be as outwardly cruel as she is to seymour who is played by steve buscemi when they answer the ad the lonely hearts ad to watch him get stood up but i mean 
no absolutely. but she I, learns from it as well in I, I agree with you I don't know if, if I could be as outwardly cruel but I do think that there's that getting wrapped up in that teenage life that you do things mm. as a teenager because your peers do it or you just stand idly by or she's and bored. I think it's it's such a huge lesson that you learn and it takes a while and not everyone learns it but it's such a huge lesson to learn that you can say no yeah i think she wants to do it though at the time oh just once she sees it play out she realizes how because at the time as a teenager it's so easy to just get wrapped up in the oh this will be funny and not think through the Mm -hmm. consequences whether it be your consequences or anyone else's and i think that once she sees the consequences played out in front of her she's she's inherently a good person so yeah. she doesn't want to hurt anyone. Well, because what I like is that, okay, she does that thing that is quite cruel about making him get stood up, essentially. But I, she see, clearly is fascinated by him and therefore seeks him out. And I think it's because she's drawn towards him because he's kind of a reflection of what she could be if she doesn't kind of get her act together. Well, she said he has like uh, very much remained the outcast, become very involved in his uh, niche um, interests, uh, which are very non-conforming with the rest of of, you know most of society at the time. Um, He's you know quite a bit of a loner, um, and if she doesn't get her life together. I think Seymour kind of reflects what her life could become. Not exactly, but she would be that outcast. She would be that person who is just consumed. Because even um, Seymour says, you know, I kind of wish I didn't have, I hate myself for having these niche um, interests for these obsessions and these fascinations that nobody else is interested in. Um, and that I can't therefore communicate with anyone really about, except for these people that I kind of fucking hate. Um, that come around and we quibble about LPs. And um, I think there is a part of Enid whose fascination with him is partly because he reflects who she could become if she doesn't get her life together. Yeah, and also if she rejects that... everything. Absolutely. There's like there's such a weird crossover there that I think is is one that you don't see a huge amount in films or or in graphic novels and i think they did it both they did it well in both where it's that she is so anti the norm yeah and yet then when she sees someone who is living life as quote anti the norm she's like not quite understanding why she's not jumping fully on board like she says at one point in the film like oh i like he is the opposite of everything i hate she doesn't say yes. oh i love everything about him she says oh he's the opposite of everything i hate yes and it's that weird it's that weird in between period where you're like not sure of whether you're like oh well i should love this because it's against everything i've stated that i hate which is societal norms which is this which is whatever it is He's not like any of that. But then he's also the sort of person that everyone would take the piss out of. 
So do I do I love that? Do I lean into that? Or do I see myself as that in the future? Or is that something that I'm just like, look, I don't necessarily hate it. I don't necessarily love it. Let's just move on. And I think that's yeah. what Rebecca's character has throughout the thing is like, she doesn't hate Seymour. She's like, whatever, this is just some other idiot. Like everyone else in my world is just some other idiot. Well, I think that Rebecca is, is Enid's foil. She is the opposite in the sense that they start out being in a very similar play. Um, they both are, have this kind of misanthropic attitude. But Rebecca is willing, and she's not, in all fairness, she's not physically held back by having to complete these extra classes to um, graduate. So she can kind of easily kind of move into adulthood in that sense. There's nothing holding her back to her teenage years. But she finds it easier to move ahead and mature and become an adult than Enid does. She doesn't hold on to this kind of anarchist view of, you know, fuck conformity, fuck the world. She very much, her dream is to live with Enid. That's what their dream was meant to be. And she knows that to achieve that, she's going to have to sacrifice other things that she may be held as being of high value to her in the past, like her unique point of view or her outcast status sort of thing. She conforms to be able to do what she, you know, move ahead and potentially complete other dreams that she has. Um, And that way she's able to get the job that Enid could never hold down. She's able to mature enough. You even see it in her fashion where she grows up in that sense. She starts conforming and wearing what other kind of normal people are wearing she starts to see the weirdos for what they are a little bit and not find them quite so enchanting um and she disassociates herself with them a little bit once she is kind of in the drudgery of of everyday life um and so she kind of represents what Enid could be if she (laughs) conformed so she's Enid's kind of stuck literally between these two versions of her potential future and She's unwilling to take a step in in either direction. And then ultimately, at the end, she chooses to follow her own dream, which is to leave the town and become a mystery, which is also, what a fucking dream. I love it. <laughs> but it's also, that's one of the reasons I think this is one of the saddest films ever made. Um, Why? Like, it's all of these dreams in some way or another dying. And yeah. it's like this... What sacrifices do you make? Exactly. And like, and I think this is a beautiful film and I think it's a beautiful story and I think it's one of the most honest stories, which is why it's mm. such a tragic story. Um, because you have all of these grand gesture stories that are, are known as tragedy, like Romeo and Juliet and like all of this. But like this, I think, is more tragic, is that slow death of your dreams and slowly moving on. Well, yeah, because she has to decide, is she going to uh, give on give up on her uniqueness or is she going to give up on conformity? And either way, is she going to be happy with that future? Because if she gives up who she is, she becomes a Rebecca. If she gives up living a conventional life, she becomes a Seymour. But and then I don't... she doesn't take either of those choices. And I was looking online um, because I didn't really see it this way, but apparently some people have viewed 
the ending where she gets on the bus as being like her her way out that she commits suicide. Not a view I particularly see. I see that she cho- she chooses she doesn't want either of those, and so she has to kind of will herself to move away from both options. But we don't see exactly what that choice is. But I can kind of see if she doesn't want to make those two one of those choices, you could read into it that she Death takes a step as opposed to. I mean that makes in. it even more depressing. Um, I, I don't know when I. I kind of see it the same as it, whether or not she does die by suicide by the end. I kind of see yeah. it as the same level as, of depressing. Like, you have all of these young, beautiful hopes and dreams, and then they're just beaten down over time. And whether that be to conform to working for the man, like Seymour does but also have his little, like, what his passions are, but hate his passions. Mm. Because society's told him that they're not what you should be passionate about. And it or, isolates him. And it, Yeah, absolutely. Or Rebecca, where she has these unique views that realize, she realises maybe aren't the most unique and just kind yeah. of goes about her daily life and maybe is never fully happy. Or Enid, who has these dreams that are very normal, but wants to be seen as this unique human and is unique in a lot of ways, and then goes through that and either realises she doesn't fit in anywhere, or maybe does go off and find somewhere she does fit in. See, I, I saw it as a much more hopeful thing in that she does leave. She doesn't leave the world. She leaves to go to another town. Like, she can't fit into this town. She needs to find somewhere where she fits into. Which that's then is how that, I always read it. And I thought that was more positive. That's the whole... That that kind of plays into... Because, you know, there's a lot of, like, queerness around this this mm. film and this story. You find um, the queerness in everything. That, well, yes. But also, <laughs> there is legit canon queerness um, in the fact that even in the, like, graphic novel that they keep talking about being lesbians as much as they aren't. Um, so, you know, it's half canon, I guess. Um, but it, it's very much in that queerness thing of you find your queer family, you find that place you fit in. So when she gets on that bus to leave, maybe she goes and finds her place that she fits in. Yeah. Um, and maybe Rebecca finds her piece and her place that she fits in in working for a while and then finding whatever comes next for her Mm. it's just that thing of like growing up i know i constantly said i will never work in xyz yeah like absolutely not i would prefer to die than that and i said that numerous times then i ended up working in places like xyz (laughs) because i'm like well yeah but realistically i need money so yeah yeah. You know, reality hits you and it hits you hard. But I mean, that's I mean, I guess that's why I find this film really depressing, but also amazing at the same time. The end is depressing because there is definitely a somber tone because she, by the end of the film, she is spiraling. And that's why she ends up seeking some kind of comfort from Seymour and really kind of making the mistake of sleeping with him. 
and it's why she ruins her friendship or she starts, you know, she's not fully ruined, but like she fractures her relationship with Rebecca. Um, she fractures her relationship with her father and his girlfriend. Um, lots of things where she starts to ruin other people's lives or a whole relationship she has with people. She um, fucks up her potential scholarship to go to art school by using a very controversial painting um, that has got bad press and now she no longer gets that. It's almost like she actively wills things to not go in her favor sometimes. And so at the end, she it's almost like she goes, you know what? Fuck this, I need a new start. <laughs> I'm yeah, going to go somewhere else. It's one of those things where it's like, she's, I, uh, the way I see it anyway, is she kind of feels like she's stuck and she's damned if she doesn't, damned if she doesn't. Like, yeah. if she conforms, she's fucked. And if she doesn't, she's fucked. So where does she fit? Because I feel like by people. yeah, I feel like by the end though, um, she has started to understand herself a little bit better and what she does want, or at the very least, what she doesn't want. And I think it's through that that she wills herself to um, take that next step, and that's why the bus turns up for her. That's why the bus turns up for Norman because Norman sits there and wills for it to to turn up, and eventually it does. And Which the bus is turns also up for her because she wills herself to take the next step, and so she does. Yeah, which is which is the same way then that people take it that it's Norman's dying of like Alzheimer's or 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 some sort of mm-hmm. like disease, degenerative like, thing. Yeah, um, and so the bus comes to take him when he does finally pass on, which is why the bus comes from her for her. Which is which is the other way that people take it. It's personally mm. not how I took it. Um, no, I never took it that way. But I understand the how you can take it that way and how it all fits together that way as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, uh, like that's one of the things I love about this film is it's it says not a huge amount, but says so much at the same time. Like it's all in the not, nuance. Yeah, it's just, and even taking away from the the messaging. Just the the visuals alone in this film really, I think, accurately portray teenage life. Like, or at least when we were teenagers. Um, Like, even just in the the place where they see the Satanists that they assume are the Satanists. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Or, or like, the pants on the floor. And finding that weird connection and artistic beauty in the mundane... And yeah. making up these backstories is so reminiscent of our childhood that I'm like, oh, this is so accurate to what it is like to be a not a like stereotypical teenager and maybe have some mental health issues and still having, <laughs> having to go through life the same way that everyone else is going through life. But you're not sure where you fit in or why you are even here. And then you see it all spelled out in front of you in these weird scenarios. Like, we used to have this weird obsession, you and I, in real life, with a pothole in the road. Oh, we did, yes, because it was shaped like a heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're like, and, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> uh, we have photos of us stood next to it. <laughs> it's a pothole. 
Like, but there's this. We found meaning in things. Exactly. And I think that this film shows that so beautifully that, like, you cling on to these weird things due to maybe your mental health or maybe your, like, lack of understanding the bigger picture. I think sometimes it, it's also like you're trying to find things that you can claim as your own. Yeah. Like because we used to, what ha- else we used to hang out. Yeah. We used to hang out at the top of the Sainsbury's car park, but we called it the home and it's where you used to hang out. Yeah. And it was like really weird, but which by the way, what the you did. fact that it was there uh, and it was quite near to the cheap supermarkets where you could buy two liter bottles of cider um, or like Lambrini made it perfect. <laughs> Look, I mean, there were benefits. Um... But it was, it was like... <laughs> it was disused. It, it was, was gross. It was disgusting. But it was home. <laughs> it, was, it was home. That was the whole Not point Not literally, of it. but that was the name of it, is where we used to hang out. Yeah, and you do, you latch on to these weird things. Yeah. They try and claim your space. Yeah, because you don't know who you are. Yeah. And you know you don't One... fit in with the necessarily stereotypical thing or you don't necessarily fit in with society or you don't necessarily fit in with other teens your age or, or your parents or whatever it is you don't necessarily fit in. So you try and cling on to something that they won't understand but that is, for you and your peers, you fully understand. It's significant, yeah. Yeah. One thing I did really enjoy also though is like how they kind of sent up this kind of pretentiousness around art yes um with the uh, art class and this girl oh the getting... tampon and the teacup oh god making these like ridiculous like zero efforts doing exactly what the teacher wants you to do kind of to suck up and get that grade um, oh yeah i have oh. i sent some bitterness in your voice because there was for sure bitterness in me I mean, I couldn't draw, so I didn't mind that I didn't pass GCSE art, but... I mean, no, but also, like, obviously I didn't go as far as GCSEs, but I remember specifically... So Soph and I went to the same school, had the same art teacher. Um, She did not like expression. (laughs) Like, she did not like you putting anything of yourself in any of your art. No, it's very much draw some flowers, wasn't it? But yeah. um <laughs> So when whenever we did put any sort of like I put a lot of effort into a lot of my art. And I got shat upon for it. Yeah. I think what what I enjoyed in the film was that Ina clearly has this talent that is being completely ignored. Hey, um, are you saying over... I didn't have talent? No. No, I'm saying it was completely ignored um, <laughs> over people who did pretentious shit. Oh, no. Um, she did 100%. Like, her drawings alone. Oh, the best thing in there. And to be honest, she probably could have passed art in the first place. I bet she just didn't hand the homework in. You know, either she, just didn't either she didn't work. hand it in or she had a teacher that didn't understand non, like, watercolours. Like, landscape yeah. watercolours. Because I know Perhaps. for a fact that, like, as much as I am not an artist and I am nowhere near Enid's <laughs> talent, like, I can't draw to save my life, but I know I did some stuff in art class that at least deserved, you know, a therapy trip. A conversation. Or a conversation. <laughs> um, 
but mm, nothing. A reference to a local counselling service. <laughs> well, exactly. But I got <laughs> fuck all because it wasn't a nice little watercoloured landscape of the Peak District. Yeah. And I think let's... I feel maybe Enid, maybe that whole thing with Enid is the same where she handed something in and the teacher didn't get it. So she was discouraged. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I think the fact that a lot of our projects had to do with kind of suffering, depression and death was mm. um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. weirdly not a red flag for any of our teachers, but also uh, <laughs> was uh, not appreciated in no, our grade. No, there was there was no appreciation <laughs> of our art. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but I did like that there was this kind of send up and that they managed to kind of fit that into this story when really it doesn't need to be there Um, no but i love that it is it really i think it just adds such an extra layer to mm. because this is a very arty film it's a very oh definitely like exactly and and i love that they throw in these references that are like very much calling to the people that would love this film so yeah i don't think it was particularly successful when it came out but the critics loved it um and i think it's definitely become more of a cult film cult nowadays the people that need to see it find it yeah also i love the idea that people who stumble across like you know how i become obsessed with someone and watch all of their body of work i'm yes. loving the idea of someone who is like a fan of marvel being like, oh, let's watch the rest of Scarlett Johansson's back catalogue. Oh, right, yes. And being like, the fuck is this? This is amazing. Like, she is brilliant in this. I think she should she's do incredible. Um, she should do deadpan stuff more often because she's fantastic. She's so, it's like delivering she's so that. funny. She's so funny, and she has this dry humor. And I've seen it in a lot of interviews um, with her, where she has this dry humor where she says things. And half the time it's just missed. Yeah. But she's just got this look on her face that is just like, at the same time as being dead, is like hysterical. And I just think, I think she's so, I think she's so naturally funny. I think a poorer actor would have just played this as kind of grumpy. Mm, But she doesn't. She's very, she's deadpan. She's saying things in a kind of monotone voice. But there's a twinkle behind her eye and there's yeah. like another layer there that's usually quite cutting or observant or witty. Yes. But it's kind of hidden a little bit through the delivery of what she's saying. Which and I just think is, it takes such a talented complex. actor. Oh my yeah. God, yes, absolutely. And same with Thora Birch. Like I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Thora <laughs> Birch since like I was an infant. And yeah. I just think she's just so so talented she's like, brilliant and i wish she did a little bit more nowadays um she's got because... two things coming out and i know she was in the walking dead which i got ridiculously yeah. overexcited I think, about i think she quit for a little bit and then um she's only really come back to acting um in the last yeah last couple of years so um i'm she was she, she was one of my more. first crushes <laughs> like early understandable. days and we've talked a lot about like how dark in many ways this film was 
Um, but there's so much humor in it as well. Like I genuinely laughed out loud when she said, Oh my God, he's like just ordered a giant glass of milk. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's a milkshake. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's true. Cause it's one of those things where we would have as teenagers, we would be like the most depressed and not having a clue what was going on with us or anyone around us. And then make these like, observations. ridiculous observations that we would find yeah. so funny. And I loved, um, I, I don't know why it always, the delivery of it always stuck out to me when Steve Buscemi, like, was shouting in the car. Like, what are you, hypnotized? When he has more children, why don't you? <laughs> it's like, whenever I, like, get in a similar situation uh, when driving, that runs through my head. So I'm just like, what are you, hypnotized? Have more children, why don't you? That's one thing I'm I think. I'm taking a much more, like, jovial tone. He's actually quite aggressive in that moment. But... <laughs> Yes, but it's Steve Buscemi, so you're like, you can do whatever you want. It was also very endearing. I loved it. It really was. <laughs> um, that's one thing I do find about this film, though, is that it really made me aware of the observations that we already were making. Yeah. They... So it made me very aware that not everyone does necessarily think the way we do. So when we make an observation to each other, as teenagers I'm talking about, not everyone would maybe necessarily make the same observation and it made me really start looking at things in a different way and I think that that has really shaped who I am. I think that if you make an observation and the person you're saying to gets it, that's when you know you've got the right friends. Yes. Because I think every group makes observations. It's just whether they're the observation that your friend gets. Like, we would find things that would be uh, quirky or perhaps, like, really dark-humoured that yes. we'd say to each other. And I don't know other people would probably make observations that weren't perhaps a little different than that. Um, but as long as their friends kind of got it, they would have the right kind of friends. So yeah, that's not... actually a really good point of finding your group, which is kind yeah. of what this story is. It's finding yeah. your people. And like, and if you can't find them, leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. I was shocked though, that when she left, the fact that in that room, all she took, all she took was that tiny, very lovely retro suitcase. I was like, um, you haven't even got your record in there. Fuck that. I mean, yes. She has so many great stuff. I, I would have taken her whole bedroom. Oh, but I've done that so many times where I've left a place and been like, well, I'm just taking this one bag. Don't you regret it sometimes, though, with the things yes, you leave behind? so many times. Exactly. <laughs> She's going to regret it. She didn't even take a turntable. I'll have that turntable, thank you very much. Well, in fairness, it is still her, her dad's place. I guess. I guess. Like, anyway. do you not know the amount of times I've moved and just left shit at my parents' house? And be yes, like, but then they throw it all left. out. Well, look, I know I've been disappointed by them numerous times, but I always assume it will still be there when I get back. Yeah. In all fairness, actually, they don't throw it out. It's more likely that your dad will take things to use and then it will get dispersed around the house and you won't know where it's gone. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my dad is a hoarder, so there's not a hope that he throws anything out. Exactly. <laughs> I had to correct myself there. So, yeah. Anyway, so I enjoyed revisiting this film. I hope you did too. Um, oh, I, I for sure enjoyed revisiting this film. Like, it made me yeah. so happy. And the comic book. You you reread the graphic novel as well, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, I just, yeah. I was, as much as I forgot a lot of the graphic novel, if I'm honest... 
Yeah, and there are things that are like in this movie and in the graphic novel, like words that we perhaps wouldn't use nowadays. They're a bit yep. outdated, a little For offensive. Sure. Um, but it's still like a great thing to go back and read and watch because it just kind of takes you back to that feeling, that moment at that time. And um, I love that. Uh, I hadn't really picked up on this like ever because I'm not very clever. But that Enid Coleslaw is. Uh, an anagram for Daniel Klaus was like a cherry on top of the pie in terms of like how amazing like this film is that he is obviously probably relaying some of his own experiences but chose to do it through this this other teenage girl like as like yeah I I love it I I just think it's so clever also I just I would be remiss if I didn't mention um in his raptor t-shirt I know. I did think I have never I been more jealous. I've never been more jealous of anything in my life. Like ever. What a fucking we need, epic. We need to shirt. find one for you. Yes. Yes, we do. It'll be good. And then you it can dye your hair green. Oh, I mean, I've done that before. It just never looked quite as good as it did on Thora Birch. Well, understandable. Let's face it, Not it's Thora you, fucking Thora. Birch. Exactly. Love her. Oh. <laughs> So, wrapping this one up, it is your turn next. <laughs> it is my so what, turn. What film have you chosen to watch? So, I have chosen one that I know is one that you won't have seen because it is not your genre, it's not your type of film. Um, I have chosen Midsummer, the 2019 film. Yeah. It's like a daytime horror film, it's fine. I mean, I'll just watch it with all the lights on. It'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing takes place in daytime. It's you'll be fine. That doesn't that. Yeah, but if it's creepy, like the wick, the original Wicker Man takes place all during the day, and even that has moments where you know it's a little creepy. Can I just say though, you will be blown away by the acting in this film. Can the I acting... just say also though oh. that we need to watch the Nicolas Cage version of Wicker Man? Totally on board for that. Um, like absolutely is a horror I can get on board on you literally like if you come to my flat just put it on and I will be like fixated to the screen like (laughs) there's not even a question but this film Midsummer, I'm so interested to get your point like to get your take on it I don't really know a huge amount about what it's about it's just looks kind of cultish yes which is something that I love I love a cult i am fascinated by it by that i don't mean like i support cults i mean like i'm fascinated by everything around cults and how easy it is to get sucked in and it's the sort of thing that i genuinely think i would fall for if i liked people more okay fair enough. <laughs> like i think if i was a people person i would have been in a cult years ago because i don't know how Ooh. to say no that's true and i'm very like oh yeah let's listen to your side of things and I think well, if I was more of a people person, I would have ended up on some lesbian retreat or something that turned out to be a cult. So I am very much looking forward to watching this film then and seeing whether you would have fallen into the same trap, <laughs> I'm assuming, as the characters in this film. 